After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. And he cut wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father! And he said, Here am I, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them together. When they came to the place which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it, it shall, shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Bathsheba. And Abraham lived at Bathsheba. Now after these things, it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor. Uz his firstborn, Buz his brother, Kemuel, the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazel, Pildash, Yilda, and Bethuel. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Reuma, Boteba, Gaham, Tahash, and Maka. 
Well, we have reached a big part of our reboot series. We have reached chapter 22. And chapter 22 has tons for us to explore and enjoy. And uh, we could do a long series just on chapter 22. But we're not going to. But we are going to do more than one week. We're going to do two weeks uh, covering this chapter. I'm doing part one. And uh, Malcolm, who leads our church in Bath, is going to come along and do part two for us next week. It's the story... Quite frankly, the disturbing story of Abraham being asked to sacrifice his own son, to take him up a hill, to kill him and to make a burnt offering of him as a worship and love and obedience to God. It's told with an amazing amount of detail, almost Tarantino-esque, I would say. It kind of builds tension as you go through the chapter. What's going to happen? Now, we've just had it read to us. We know what happens. Isaac doesn't actually die. Thankfully, Abraham doesn't have to bring a knife to him. Uh, So we know what the outcome is, but still, it does leave us with the question, why would a good God ask such a terrible thing of Abraham? We've got to ask some questions. Is it because there's a weird blip in the Bible? Is it because it's somehow disjointed to the God we know loves us and wants to offer us forgiveness? How does it link with how we are to act? Well, we're going to look at all those questions, hopefully, uh, as we begin to unpack this story together. But let's jump straight in. Let's look at that problematic inconsistency. I have read a whole bunch of commentaries and Bible scholars in the last couple of weeks looking at how this fits together. I had brilliant conversations with our teaching team, men and women, uh, looking at that together, uh, kind of asking questions, provoking one another, looking at that together. And uh, hopefully our diggings into this passage are going to help you. Also been really helped by an article uh, from the Bible Project. Those guys are so good at taking theological concepts, books of the Bible, theological problems like this one, and just give us a clear framework in which to help understand it. Taking what can seem quite complex and quite big at times and making it digestible for us. Not simplistic, it's not simple, but definitely digestible so each of us can understand. So I'm going to use the Bible Project's three headings to help us with this. So why would God promise Abraham a son, this promised son Isaac, and then take him away, ask for him to be killed? Is it because God is unsure, uncertain, changing his mind? Is it God doing something worse? Is he enacting some sense of trickery or some evil upon the people that he has made? Let's have a look. Well, this is the way to understand. There's three ways we can look at it. One is this wasn't Abraham's first experience of God. We are now 11 chapters into God dealing with Abraham. And so Abraham's got some history with God now. He's interacted with God, listened to God, obeyed him at times, disobeyed him at times. There's some ups and downs, rounds and rounds, all kinds of interactions that led to Abraham knowing something of God. He's walked away from his time with God or continues to walk with God with the overriding impression that God is good and that God does right. In fact, in chapter 18, Abraham says, Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Can I ask this kind of uh, rhetorical question? Shall not the God of all things do what is right? And the answer to that is a resounding yes in his own heart. He knows the answer to his question. He's already settled it in his own mind. Now, just because something doesn't look right on the surface, doesn't mean that God isn't right. Just because something looks confusing on the surface, doesn't mean that God is confused. Now, God is good. God knows what he's doing. God knows what he is asking. And what he asks is always good, always right. And Abraham can trust God with those things. He knows enough of God to know that it's okay. He's got experience with God. Second thing is, Abraham didn't think Isaac would die. At the very least, knew that Isaac would come back from the dead. 
There are two instances in, the, two instances in this passage that show something of Abraham's inner thoughts and what he believed the outcome was going to be. And this is confirmed later in the book of Hebrews. Let's have a look at it together. When Abraham reaches the foot of this mountain where he's going to go up and prepare the altar, he turns to his servants and says, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. In the way that Abraham is speaking, he clearly thinks, well, yeah, I'm going to go up the mountain. Whatever happens up there, I'm going to come back and my son's going with me as well. So he knows whatever's going to happen, Isaac is going to come back alive. That's, that's definitely part of his thoughts. Then goes on to say, have a conversation with Isaac. Isaac was obviously a bit older than the last chapter. He was kind of two or three. He's kind of a toddler. We're a chapter on. He must be a young man, at least by now. Uh, he travels a long journey with Abraham. He carries the wood himself up the mountain. And he has this kind of discourse with Abraham. He says, hey, Dad, we've got the wood. We've got the fire. We've got the mountain. We've got the altar. But where's the lamb for the sacrifice? And Abraham replies, God himself will provide the lamb. Clearly, Abraham is already saying to him, look, I know whatever happens here, God is going to provide. Abraham is clearly prepared to obey and do what God is asking him to do. He's made the preparations. He's made the three-day journey. He even lifts the knife to kill Isaac. Slaughter him is the language that he used. But all the time, Abraham is expecting God to come through, to do something in the midst of it, do something else other than the thing that is in his mind. Hebrews 11 puts it like this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. This is, Hebrews chapter 11 is a wonderful who's who of people with faith. Abraham, his, man, his name is a great man of faith because he acted on what God has said, obeyed him, even to the point of lifting the knife. But Isaac did not die. Instead of having to bring Isaac back from the dead, which is what was in Abraham's mind, God instead steps in. Isaac is spared death and Abraham is spared from sacrificing. What at first appeared to be a brutal request turns out to be something quite amazing. Actually an opportunity for God to reveal something of himself. Amazing for Abraham and Isaac, but also pointing to something far greater, which leads us to our third point. So the first one was that Abraham knew something of God. Second one is that Abraham didn't expect Isaac to die or at least not stay dead. The third one is prophetic enactment. Let me explain. In various places in the Bible, we see God using the lives of men and women to point towards something greater that is happening or something that's greater that's going to happen. This kind of prophetic, God speaking through words of people, but also through the actions of people as well. So sometimes things that look strange and incomprehensible to us to start with actually turns out to be part of a larger picture of something good that God is doing. Let me give you another example from somewhere else in the Bible. The prophet Hosea, also in the Old Testament, God instructs him to marry a prostitute, an unfaithful prostitute. And again, at first glance, you might be, why would God ask someone to do that? God who is love, God who loves faithfulness, God who loves faithful love and faithful marriage. Why would he ask someone to be in that kind of relationship? It's because God wants to reveal something about himself. It was meant to be a prophetic picture of what, how God relates to people. God relates to the people of Israel, actually relates to us. Each of us are actually like that unfaithful prostitute. 
All of us are unfaithful at times in our relationship with God. We don't walk and follow him perfectly. We don't love him perfectly. We whore after other things. We love other things. We raise other things up as idols and don't give God the devotion he deserves. And all of us deserve to be divorced from God, deserve to be jettisoned from his household. But in this picture, God is like Hosea. He is the faithful husband that remains faithful to us throughout all the things that we get wrong. So there's a mini picture of something greater that's about God. So in Genesis 22, that's also going on. This mini story, this mini picture is a picture of not just a greater story, but the greatest story. The story of Jesus' life, death and resurrection for us. Where each of us deserve to be put upon the altar, deserve death. Instead, Jesus was put on the altar for us. This perfect lamb. That for us, there was a father who did sacrifice a son. John 3.16 gave up his one and only son. Same language as, as we find here in Genesis 22. His one and only son. This son, not, not having just done to him, the son fully participating. Jesus sacrificing himself for us. Us finding found in Isaac. If Isaac had been done away, so would all the descendants be, be done with as well. And we are part of that descendancy. If Isaac had died, all Isaac's descendants would have been gone away with. Jesus, when he died, he, di- he died so all God's descendants could be welcomed in. Because of him, God has a larger family that involves anyone who puts their faith in him, including me, including you, uh, if, that's, if you put your faith in Jesus. We can now be counted as his descendants, share in his glorious inheritance. It's a wonderful thing, wonderful prophetic picture what happens later. Now I'm not going to unpack that anymore, loads more to say. Uh, but Malcolm's going to pick up on that for us next week. But feel free to read it this week. Go through the passage and support all the references to this amazing life, death and resurrection, resurrection of Jesus. You'll see so many details that point to the greater story. But today, with the time that we've got left remaining, let's go back and see how God interacts with Abraham and how Abraham passes the test as remembered as a great man of faith. In one sense, Abraham is just an ordinary person, just like you and just like me. He is special only because God chose him. God decided to make him special. That's true for every person who comes to know God. It's because God has chosen, not because we've done anything great. We're going to talk a lot about, in a minute, about kind of laying hold of what God has for us and acting. But the greatest action is God comes and chooses, kind of plucks us out of obscurity like he did with Abraham. But Abraham grows into this great man of faith. Why? Because he looks to Jesus, leans on God and uh, comes to do, starts doing extraordinary things as he sees who God is, puts his faith in him. That passage in Hebrews that talks about his great faith lists lots of other people, again, just like us. The only thing that's different is they put amazing faith in God and that can be our story as well. We can put our faith in him and do extraordinary exploits for him that we can be numbered among the saints who do wonderful things. So I'm going to pick up on six uh, kind of characteristics of faith-filled people. And I'm hopefully going to get through all of them in time. Let's have a go. So number one, faith-filled people are tested. We covered this a lot a couple of weeks ago when we're talking about the story of Ishmael being sent off into the desert. Abraham had a test there. Was he going to kind of of jump in, kind of protect Ishmael from going? No, no, he trusted him to God. Let Ishmael go out into the desert. And it says, verse one, this passage, after these things, God tested Abraham. I say tested Abraham again. His life is full of testing and trials, but that is part of God's love for him. 
God's not a wagging finger, evil professor, trying to find ways to kind of fail or succeed, that kind of thing. No, no. God knows that testing is good for him. Personally, I sometimes wish that God was simply a heavenly therapist that simply encourages us. But God's ways are higher than mine. God understands what I need more than I do. He knows it's better for us to be proven, to be made mature, complete, steadfast people, lacking in nothing. And he knows that tests and trials are the ways to produce that. Little sidebar, no test or trial he ever gives us is too great for us to bear. That's what the Bible says. His grace is sufficient. His strength is sufficient for whatever he puts in front of us. A big part of Abraham being able to face this most extraordinary test is because God had prepared him for it, knew that he was ready to go for it. But each of us, work and action and obedience is an important part of what it means to have faith in God. It's evidence that we truly love and trust him. In the book of James, it says, Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. We're not merely called to just to subscribe to Christianity. It's not just a philosophy that we kind of generally sign up to or we just attend Sunday services. No, our faith is joined with action, with works. Again, it's not what kind of, uh, uh, kind of uh, delineates us in terms of being picked out. God does that. That's God's work. But then that faith that we put in God, well, that comes with action. God's, uh, Abraham's belief in God it was played out here in the fact that he faced this trial and test straight on and begun to walk in it, walk in obedience. When you look at your life, or maybe when other people look at your life, to be able to look and see that you love and follow Jesus, it changes the way that you deal with the things that come up in your life. Does it change the way that you walk? So one, being tested, having trials in your life, that's not a sign that life's going bad. That's a sign that God loves you and wants to change you more into the person that he wants you to be. Number two, listening. Verse one also says this. God, God said to Abraham, Abraham, what did, God, what did Abraham say? He said, here I am. He responds quickly to God. Abraham is a listening man. He's listening to what God is saying, listening to God's call. Are you listening? Are you listening today as you hear God's word? Are you listening as you walk through your Christian walk? We are more blessed than Abraham. Abraham had this relationship with God where he was just waiting upon God to speak to him. Maybe he spoke to God, initiated himself, but there's definitely sense just waiting upon God. We have God's words with us all the time. God has given us the scriptures. God has given us the scriptures. He's given us the Bible. That is God's letter. That's God's book for you. I know I can have found my time, myself at times thinking, oh, the Bible, I should read that. I must get through my reading plan. But when I change my perspective, I'm like, wow, God wants to speak to me today. I want to say, here I am. What does here I am look like? It means taking up that book and reading it. Saying, God, I want you to speak to me. Give me your scriptures that you might speak to me. You are chosen. You are special. God wants to speak to you. Maybe you're beginning a journey of kind of exploring Christianity. Is this Jesus real? Ask him to speak to you and then say, here I am to listen. Don't switch off at that point. Then listen. Listen as you sit in church services. Listen as you sing songs of worship. Listen as you take the book and read. And as you do so, pray. Say, God, please speak to me. It's so wonderful as we read through. Say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. And the Holy Spirit just stops us. Just highlights something to us afresh about who God is, who we are, how we're to relate to him. 
It's hard work at times. It is getting into the Bible. It's an ancient book. It takes a bit of work, but the work is worth it. And there's ways to help us do it as well. I'm going to give Bible Project yes, another shout out today. Two mentions of one sermon. They're doing great work to help Christians access the Word of God. Help non-Christians access the work of God. Go and check out their resources. That's so helpful. It's okay to sit and listen to the Bible. If you're not a big reader, that's okay. Listen to it. Generations of Christians have just sat and listened to the Word. Instead, do that. Do whatever you can to get into it. God wants to speak to you. Let him speak to you. Say, here I am. Number three, Abraham was quick to obey. It says this in verse three. So Abraham arose early in the morning, saddled his donkey. He cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Or he said, faith is not about hearing, it's acting. He said, here I am God, God speaks to him. And then he gets up and he gets on it. He puts plans in place. Says this in another passage for James for you. Says this, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. When are we blessed? We're blessed when we walk in the things that God has called us to do. It's wonderful to hear, much better to walk it out. We have an enemy, the devil, and uh, he is not concerned about believers who hear. He's not concerned about believers who are stirred. He's concerned when believers hear and do, when they get on their knees and they begin to pray. He's the kingdom of God comes to bear when Christians take God at his word and go and walk it out. Do the things that God has called us to. What has God called you to do? Maybe today is to forgive someone. Maybe you're meant to be reconciling with someone. Maybe there's something you're meant to be giving away. Maybe you're meant to be starting something. Maybe you're meant to be exploring a calling. Maybe you're meant to be getting baptised. We're meant to be those who when we hear, we obey. And when do we obey? We obey straight away. Something I teach my little kids over the years. Teach them, when, when do you obey? Straight away. That's what they say, straight away. Because delayed obedience isn't obedience. Partial obedience isn't obedience. Kind of obedience with a bad attitude isn't obedience. Obedience is when we say yes, we obey straight away, we do it wholeheartedly and we do it in full. What has God called you to do that you're delaying? Or you're only doing partially or you're doing it while dragging your feet? God's calling you to obey straight away. Maybe for you, God is calling you to himself and you're not yet a Christian. Maybe you've been delaying. You've got questions. You've got concerns. I'm sure Abraham had questions and concerns, but he knew enough of God to know that God was good, God was right and God was for him. Do you know that God is good? He's right and he's for you. Then don't delay. Give your life to him today. Don't delay. Maybe for you, God's telling you something that's not very clear. Maybe it's not written clearly in Scripture. Scripture tells us to get baptised. Scripture tells us to forgive. Scripture tells us to love one another. Scripture tells us to join yourself to a local church. Those are not that you don't need to ask many more questions. That's just the truth. But sometimes God leads us in things that aren't as clear in Scripture. Maybe to move city, move town, start a new job or start a new ministry, something like that. Well, those things, because they're not written in Scripture, we need to have a bit more humility about Let's not uh, think so, that we are so good at hearing God that we can just do it by ourselves. We'd love to do that as a community. Tom and Beth Rowden, uh, wonderful members of our church, actually left our church this week. And that's after a few months of meeting with me and some other guys in the church and just praying together about what is it that God's got for them next. And I said, we think God's taking us to Bristol. We think that's our next step. And uh, I had to be humble enough to say, oh God, that might be true. Don't let them go. We love them too much. 
But as we met and as we prayed, you know, it just felt so clear that's God's next step for them. So they've gone with that absolute blessing. But they have the humility to say, hey, let's talk about that. Let's pray about that together. And we wish them well. And we say, we love you. Enjoy Bristol. That's going to be a blessing there, I'm sure. What is it that God's calling you to? What has he told you to do that you are delaying on? Maybe God's told you to do something yesterday you've not done yet. Maybe he told you a week ago. Maybe he told you two weeks ago. Maybe he told you 10 years ago and you've not moved on it yet. Some things we can do straight away. Maybe for you, the next step is just to talk to someone about it. What does obedience look like for you? Number four, what else do faithful people do? Well, they know God. It says in verse 12, for now I know that you fear God. That was the pronouncement over Abraham. Abraham has history with God of interactions and his interventions and now has settled in his mind that he is mighty, holy and perfectly good. Which means that he fears God above all things. Now there's so much to unpack in what it means to fear God. We're not going to go there today. But enough to say that Abraham reveres God, trusts God, respects God, fears God more than he does anyone or anything else. We've seen over this series that Abraham has feared people too much at times. So he lied about who his wife was. We've seen that he feared the future or how the promises had worked out and so he took a shortcut and got his wife's servant girl pregnant. All that's done with now, he fears God alone. When God speaks to him, he doesn't enter in some kind of discourse back and forth. Is it this, is it that? No, he just trusts God. He knows God. Being a person of faith doesn't mean having to hope in hope. Having faith means putting in the most secure places of all, into Christ, into the God of all creation who commands our destiny. Again, we're in a better place than Abraham. Abraham knew something of God, knew something of his own interactions with God. For us, we can look back down through the Bible, look back down through church history, even through our own lives and see that God is good and worth to trust, worth trusting. We've seen his interactions with other people, but more than anything, we've seen what he's acted out on the cross. We've seen that he is good, even to the point of giving up his own life for us. Can we trust our lives to him? Absolutely we can. Because he gave his life for us. His life, death and resurrection. We have the Holy Spirit. We have his precious word, the Bible. We have the body of Christ. We have the church. All these gifts are given to us that show us the kind of God that we have. So even more, we can trust him. You know who God is, which means you know you can trust his life, your life to him. Which leads us to number five. It means we don't need to withhold anything from him. People who believe in God, trust in God, have faith in God, withhold nothing. Abraham feared God, honoured God above all things and he did something spectacular. It says in verse 12 and verse 16, For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withhold your son, your only son from me. People of faith withhold nothing from God. Not because God is some demanding tyrant, because God has something better for people who give it all to him. When we hold nothing back, when we make our hands empty, what do we get to hold on to instead? It's God. This is precious, precious kingdom principle, heavenly kingdom principle. It's more blessed to give than receive. Whoever finds his life or kind of grabs after his life will actually lose it. Whoever loses his life, whoever lays it down for Christ's sake will find it. To follow Jesus and to receive all he has for us to mean, for us means to be like Abraham. We need to let go of the past. We need to let go of our future and submit to him. Abraham had to leave everything behind to follow God. Now he's being asked to let go of his whole future to follow God. It's not easy. And the temptation to compromise is massive. In this world, we're taught to grab hold of things. Even in our own insecurity, we surround ourselves even with good things. Isaac was a good thing. Isaac was God's promised son to Abraham. But Abraham wanted God more than he wanted the promise. I want to be like that. 
I want Jesus more than I want just the benefits of having Jesus. He is the benefit. Abraham doesn't even withhold the thing that God has given to him. He gives it back. So in my life a few years ago, where uh, I was looking for a new ministry opportunity, looking at a new ministry opportunity. I think, Do, is this time to grab this God? It's going to be a bit of an adventure. It's going to be a bit of a sacrifice, but am I meant to be grabbing this? Or am I meant to hold on to the thing you've got for me here? Which one is it, God? Which one is it? And I wrestled for months, probably even years in reality. I basically got to a crunch point. I thought, I'm going to get, go away. I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. I'm going to see God. Where are we meant to do it going? What am I meant to be grabbing hold of? As I went away, I said, God, which one is it? Is it this one? Is this this new adventure? Am I meant to be getting faith for this? Could I grab hold of this? I just felt God in my spirit to say, no, let go of that. I was like, oh, okay, it's this one. I'm going to grab and I'm going to run with all my might. And God said, no, no, let, let go of that one as well. I was like, God, then what am I supposed to hold on to? And uh, God, just very peacefully, very quietly into my heart, just felt him say, hold on to me. And... Uh, my first response was like, are you kidding me? That's the Sunday school answer. I thought, why could I have not that worked that out sooner? But then the peace of God came in. You know, that's right. Jesus, just hold on to you. Hold on to you. I can trust you for everything else. And man, I had a week booked out. It was a peaceful week. I didn't even talk about those things anymore. It wasn't about that. It was about being with Jesus. The peace that comes from being with him. You know what? End up not being this. Not end up being this. Something totally, completely different. God knows you. He's got good for you. He just needs empty hands to put it into. Number six, final one. Faithful people are blessed people. I sometimes, as I looked at this passage, I asked my question, at the end of it, Abraham's, uh, God's promises to Abraham are reconfirmed. Like, would Abraham not have received blessing if he'd failed that test? As I look at it, I think the answer is, I think he still would have done. God would have still blessed him. God had promised it. God is faithful, just even if we're not. And, and Abraham failed many other trials and God had continued to journey with him. God would have continued to journey with Abraham. That's true for us. Maybe you have failed some of the tests and trials that God has given you. God is gracious. He forgives us and continues to journey with us and whenever we turn back to him. But there is a warning today. In 1 Corinthians 3, it says this, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. We have a choice of how to build. We can build holding on to and grabbing hold of all the things we've got. But if we do that, those things we're holding will actually get burnt up. They'll be gone. We don't get to take them with us. In fact, we probably lose them even in this life. But as we build with the things that Christ has given us, if we build with open hands, holding on to him only, we're actually, we're saved, yes, both, both camps are saved, but saved with a reward. Don't hold anything back. The, bless, the blessing comes from my giving all to Jesus. I think Abraham is more blessed. Walked out of that trial better. He gets into the history books. He gets into Hebrews, the hero of the faith. Why? Because he gave it all to God. The real hero of the faith for me is a guy called Jim Elliot, who in the last century left America, went to South America to tell some tribes about Jesus who had no access to churches or the gospel, to fly into the jungles and uh, risk crashing the plane, risk disease, risk being killed by those he was going to save. And in fact, that's what happened. He died at the age of 28. A young life given over to telling other people about the gospel. The wonderful story is that that tribe ended up hearing Jesus uh, through that death. But Jim Elliot said something in his journal uh, months, maybe years before he actually died when people kind of questioned, why would you give up so much for Jesus? You could even use, lose your life 
And he says this, He is no fool who gives away what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives away what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Jim Elliot saw it. He knows nothing in this life that I can let go. Nothing that I can give to God, sacrifice to God that I won't get back many times over in this life and the next. This life is so short compared to the length of eternity. There's no sacrifice you can make that God isn't going to bless you in return for. It says this in James 1, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. God loves you. He's putting you through trials. And when you stand steadfast, you know you're obeying him. That's, my fact, that's, is that not enough? But even for God, that's not enough. No, he wants to then bless you, give you a crown that you get to wear for all eternity. The beautiful thing, of course, is that we've got an older brother in Jesus who himself went through trial and stood steadfast, absolutely immovable. And he won for himself a crown, the crown of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And he reigns supremely right now. And do you know the crown that he's wearing? The crown he's wearing has jewels in it. And each of us are like jewels in that crown. He went to that cross to win for himself a great blessing. The blessing of bringing together children from the nations and down through history into God's glorious family. People like you, people like me. Brought in because Jesus stood firm. Because he stood firm, you can stand firm. His grace, his spirit, his power is available to you today. Don't delay, please obey. That's what God asks of you. Knowing that as you do, you'll know God's blessing and hand upon you. Let's sing a song about that right now. I love this song, Build Your Life. It's saying, you know what, God, this is what I want to do. And uh, well, sometimes when I sing this line, I'm like, God, help me to build my life. Add a little word in there because I don't, it's not always easy. It's, it's, sometimes it's difficult. But let's sing it with real faith and gusto right now.